And with me this morning is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist from IMU. Good morning, Dr. Philip. Good morning, Charles. How are you doing? I'm doing great, but (laughs) you don't look like you're doing too well. You've got a very swollen face. Yep. No, I had a bit of a injury yesterday trying to jog. I haven't been jogging for a long time. I usually walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I should get used to the basics, <laughs> not try and go beyond what I normally do. Right. Well, I hope you feel you start feeling better soon. Now, taking a look at this, you know, initiative by the government in the last two weeks or so, this initiative has been started to curb suicide. Befrienders calls are now completely free by all telcos. And apparently there's been a rise in suicide attempts where preteens are concerned. Mm-hmm. What are some of the issues that preteens are going through for them to attempt suicide? Well, in the Asia-Pacific region, actually, suicide is the second most common cause of death in teens and preteens. This is, of course, second to motor vehicle accidents. There are actually specific risk factors for this age group, which includes mental health disorders like depression and uh, mood disorders, as well as alcohol and substance use, and then impulsive behaviors or even trauma or abuse uh, as a child. Sometimes family history of suicide can increase the risk as well. But I think very often now we're seeing a lack of social connectedness. Although people are connected through social media, mm-hmm. but there's no real you know, face-to-face connectedness. No real relationship there, is no there? No real relationship, yep. And sexual orientation issues. In fact, one study showed that there was an increased risk of suicide among LGBTQ teens who experienced rejection or negative reactions. And I think the other thing that we're also starting to see happen more often is bullying and cyberbullying. So if you see your preteen or your teenager experiencing some of the symptoms of depression and whatnot, what should you do? Well, I think it's important first understand what these symptoms are and you know how to approach people with this problem have that connectedness with as a parent as a teacher with the teens and then get them to be able to talk to you about these issues as well spend time doing things that they enjoy doing Uh, that's the only way you can actually really you know break through to your teen Mm -hmm. children Uh, Very often people think, well, I'll sit them down on the sofa and then ask them, okay, what's your problem? Talk to me now. (laughs) Doesn't work. Uh, Doesn't work. Doesn't work with teens. So you got to get them in a comfort zone, in an area where they feel comfortable, maybe doing exercise together or doing some, you know, sort of board game and Mm -hmm. activity that they enjoy as well. And then talking to them about things that may be challenging for them. All right. Well, coming up, things that teens and older people are enjoying is Instagram. But Instagram is hiding likes. And how is this affecting mental health? Well, we'll find out next here on Light. And on My Matters, I have Dr. Philip George with me this morning. And it looks like uh, Instagram began testing a new feature in Canada that hides public like counts on all photos and video posts. And a lot of social media influencers that were affected are not loving it. In fact, um, you know, social media does contribute quite a lot to mental health issues, especially when you are relying on other people's approval. Approval, yep. In your practice, Doc, how does social media contribute? to mental health issues? Well, we haven't seen a complete, you know, direct link between social media and the amount of time that's spent on social media and mental health issues. There is some research that's coming up, but the numbers are small. 
But even with the research there, it actually suggests that the more time that we spend on social media, the higher the risk of problems with sleep and symptoms of depression. Other common problems include, you know, the cyberbullying that we discussed earlier, mm -hmm. toxic comparisons. You know, we make comparisons with others and yeah. feel, you know, low self-esteem because some of these of some of these con comparisons, and then le less face-to-face -face interaction. Focusing also on likes can sometimes make teens choose things that they would normally not like, like, you know, altering appearances or negative behavior and risky social media challenges. So I think they all have an influence. What I normally do in my practice is I advise my patients that, you know, when they're going through depression or anxiety disorders to perhaps just... Take a break? Take a break, yeah. Take a break from social media until they get well because they can sometimes perceive things online or post things that are maybe not going to be you know, helpful in their recovery as well. Right. How will hiding likes on social media sites help with mental health issues, especially with regards to like, I need approval, external yeah. approval? Well, I think by hiding, I think this is what Instagram is doing, mm -hmm. it will most probably help users to maybe share more authentic content and instead of being just competitive. Right. I think it was Mark Zuckerberg who actually said he wanted people to be less interested in how many likes a post gets and rather focus on just connecting with other people. So it sounds logical. Mm -hmm. I think it, you know, it sort of takes away that competitive nature that, you know, some of the social media sites yeah. have been trying to build and develop among people. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up, what we eat can affect our mental health. That's what we're looking at next with Dr. Philip George on Light. It's a light breakfast with Shaz, and on Mind Matters today, I've got Dr. Philip George with me, consultant psychiatrist from IMU, and it looks like the impact of our daily food goes beyond just, you know, giving us energy and making our skin glow and strengthening our bones. It can actually affect our mental health as well, because I guess a deficiency in essential minerals and nutrients can affect your mental health. Um, what else, Doc? How does eating the right food actually help? Yeah. Well, actually, diet is important not just for physical health, but also mental well-being. In fact, studies have shown that poor nutritional diet in children, like, you know, maybe high saturated fats, refined carbs, and processed foods, is closely linked to poorer mental health in children and adolescents. Mm. And there is also a close link between obesity and mental health problems. In fact, 55% of obese people have the risk of developing depression. Nutritional psychiatry, that's a new field in psychiatry in, wow. the, in psychiatry <laughs> research, yeah, is actually helping us identify you know linkages between diet and mental health. And in fact, some of the research has already shown that less healthy diets or eating that you know poor diets uh, leads to smaller left hippocampus, which is an area in the brain related to mood and emotional regulation. So we're actually seeing physical changes in the brain related to the diets that we have as well. So, Doc, what can we eat to help with our mental health? Well, I think it's, you know, going back to basics, uh, eating as close as possible to a traditional pre-industrial diet, which is rich in plant foods, fish, and unrefined grains, fermented food, you know, that bit of kimchi off and on, and perhaps less meat and less carbohydrates and less processed and snack foods, mm -hmm. that will be really helpful for our mental health. <clears throat> but it's also important to note that, you know, some research has actually suggested that too much or too little 
is also problematic. Right. So, you know, if you're going to cut out carbs completely, that might have an impact on your mental health as well. All right. Um, so find a middle ground. Find a middle ground. And I usually advise my patients to, you know, cut down the carbohydrates, eat more fruits and vegetables because they are the building blocks for some of the neurochemicals in the brain. And then also top up with maybe supplements like fish oil and, you know, folic acid and B-complex. All right. Wonderful advice there. And coming up, a new law lets um, U.S. students miss school for mental health days. That's up next here on Light. Over in the United States, youth suicides are currently the highest on record, and it's a devastating indication that the nation isn't doing enough to identify and address mental illness in its young people. And to help a group of young teen activists have successfully lobbied Oregon's government to pass a law expanding the reasons a student can be excused from school to include mental health days, a move that could simultaneously help struggling students while also serving to destigmatize mental illness. I think this is a great move, but what do you think? Is this good or a bad thing? No, I think it is good. I mean, it's it's addressing an issue that's actually on the rise. And I think they've identified here that youth suicides in the U.S., especially in the state of Oregon, is actually on, on the rise. And apparently a study suggests that 16% of 8th graders say they contemplated suicide in the past year in the state wow. of Oregon itself. Now, I'm not sure about this in Malaysia and our region, but I mm-hmm. think it's a real important start for people to understand that there is no stigma in mental health and that we should also afford it the same that we do with other physical illnesses. So if somebody has fever, flu, cough, and can't go to school, well, so too would a person who has mental health problems. Yeah, I mean, I can't see this sort of uh, taking off in the workplace. Can you imagine going to your boss and saying, I'm really, you know, emotionally and mentally burnt out. Mm. I need a day or two to, to, you know, get out of it. I think bosses would kind of look at you askance and say, really? (laughs) Yeah, this is a real dilemma in our practice as well Mm. because we often advise, you know, for a few days to, you know, be off just to focus on getting better from yeah. you know maybe a major depressive episode or even anxiety episodes and sometimes we're forced to actually give medical certificates that have no diagnosis written on it right. because of the taboo and stigma that it would pose for the person who's employed yeah but i think we need to move around this a lot of multinational companies actually accept this in fact i'd had a patient once who said you know when i gave my mc in and you know my boss looked at it and said okay i see you have depression I've had it before myself. I understand I can support Mm -hmm. and help you through this period as well. So it's becoming much more common than we think. And I think employers need to understand that, you know, the mental health of the employees is just as important as your physical health. All right. Well, coming up, does going out of your comfort zone affect your mental health? We'll find out more with Dr. Philip George next on Light. On Mind Matters, with me this morning is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist at IMU. And looking at this Financial Times article, um, David Baird became an entrepreneur because he wanted to do something positive, but he had no idea how high the cost to his mental health would be. He launched a C-Local, which is an online community to support artists and musicians like himself. But, you know, it took him so much out of his comfort zone that he reported, like, mental health issues and 
and even uh, suicidal tendencies. So uh, Stanford University found that 49% of uh, people reported having mental health concerns compared with 32% from a control group drawn from a local population of uh, entrepreneurs in Northern California. I guess it is a big risk to your mental health, also going out of your comfort zone to become an entrepreneur. Can you expand on that? Well, I think it comes down to you know the type of people who actually decide to take on this role or this career move. And sometimes, you know, it's related to their own personality traits. So people who are maybe a little bit more narcissistic or, you know, maybe a little bit more anencastic or, you know, have that obsessive compulsive personality type who want to really reach high levels and have great expectations and, you know, being average is not good enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with them and then trying to focus on entrepreneurship, it can actually lead to serious mental health problems because their stress levels are way you know, above the ceiling. Yeah. I, I know that some people suppress their feelings of stress. How will mm. this affect your mental health? I mean... Yeah. So it all comes down to that yerkes dotson curve, you know, with, if you put stress on the x-axis and performance on the y-axis, we need to know where our optimum anxiety is. Mm-hmm. At that level you will perform to the best of your ability. If you don't have enough stress, you're not going to really perform very much. So stress is important for our performance. But once we go beyond, then we're actually heading towards breakdown, fatigue, mental health issues, and even physical health issues like hypertension, diabetes, and even cancer. So it's always important to you know maybe reflect on ourselves where are we on this curve have i actually exceeded the optimal anxiety because there are symptoms of stress that can actually be identified when you've we've gone past that level and some of them include sleep problems you know the pains and aches and you know just not being able to focus and concentrate being more irritable and angry and maybe having arguments with uh, you know, people who are close to you. So all of these can already identify that you've gone beyond the optimal level and you need to do something to bring yourself back. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Philip, for your great insight on mental health this week. Thank you, Shaz.